If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Joshua chapter 21. Joshua chapter 21 will be in verses 43 through 45. And it says this, it says, So the Lord gave, somebody said gave, to Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors, and they took, somebody say took, possession of it and settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side just as he had solemnly promised their ancestors. And none of their enemies could stand against them, for the Lord helped them conquer all their enemies. Verse 45, not a single one of all the good promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Everything he had spoken came true. Not a single one of the good promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Can I get somebody to get excited about that particular verse this morning? Turn to your neighbor and say, your promise will be fulfilled. You can be seated this morning. Now, we're going to use this verse as a bridge from our last series that we were in for four weeks called Possess the Promise, and our new series, which we have entitled Fulfilled. Now, if you put that slide up, fulfilled, you'll notice that it's full period, filled period. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you fulfilled? Are you fulfilled? Now, I believe that some of you in this room can say yes to that question, but I think if we're all honest with ourselves, a lot of us would answer that question, no, that we're not fulfilled. Because you see, I believe that there is a lot of people today who their lives are full. Their lives are full. I mean, we live in a day and time where we have been more busy than we have ever been in any generation in history. Your life is full. Nobody in this room can tell me that all I do is just sit around all day. Like, you all have a busy schedule. It's always full. It seems like no matter what day of the week you're in, even when you say, I'm going to have a day to myself, I'm going to rest, I'm going to relax, it always seems like it gets full with something. I mean, it's like we truly don't have days off anymore. Would somebody agree with me? So our lives are full, but what I'm afraid of is that our spirits are empty. Our lives are full, but our spirits are empty. And we think, we get confused at times because we think as long as our life is full, then our spirits are fulfilled. But it's completely opposite. I hear more and more people say, man, I wish I wasn't as busy. I wish there were some things that I, and, and, and I believe that it's, yes, it's a product of having a busy schedule, but I also think it's because we're living unfulfilled lives. Because if you were living a fulfilling life, then you would never feel like you need a break. 
Do you see what I'm saying? Like, have you ever been around, like, like how many of you would say you're passionate about football? How many of you would say you're passionate about shopping? How many of you would say you're passionate about food? I think I've hit about every person in this room with those three. But here's the thing. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Is that when you, you have a passion for something, you can't get enough of it. I'm just going to tell you, I'm passionate about football. I could literally sit on my couch on Saturday from 8 o'clock when game day kicks off until 1 o'clock in the morning when the West Coast game gets done and just feel like I've had one of the best days of my life. Some of y'all are like, that's the most miserable thing I've ever heard of. You see what I'm saying? Now, for others of you, you're like, I could shop 24-7. If there was an unlimited bank account, I could just go and go and go. It's like retail therapy to the max. And you never get tired of it. For some of us, I'm a foodie. I don't necessarily cave into my passion very much anymore these days, but I'm just saying, like, I am a foodie. And if I knew that I wasn't going to be as big as this auditorium, I would just eat. Bring it on. Start the morning with some pancakes, bacon. Let's go into a nice muffalata, and then we'll end the day with just like a big, awesome, juicy ribeye steak. And then we'll eat chocolate in between, potato chips in between. We'll just eat it all in between. And I would never get tired of it. That is why I am so excited that when we get to heaven, there is a banquet. Which means I'm going to get to eat. I mean, come on. That's when you know God loves you. But you see, our lives are full, but our spirits are empty. Many of us spend our lives trying to get more, make more, and gain more, but still struggle with a lack of fulfillment. How can we find more significance? What should we do with all God has given to us? I mean, think about it. It's like, you know, it's like if you own a house in one neighborhood and you buy your first home. Now, unless you've won the lottery or you were born into rich money, you're not buying a big house for your first house, right? You're buying what they call a starter home. 12, 1,300 square feet, two bedrooms, if you're lucky, maybe three bedrooms, although at that square footage, it better be two, because three, your bed is going to be like up against the wall, you know what I'm saying, like on either, all sides, but what I'm saying is, is that there's a starter home, and then, you know, as life goes on, get a raise here, get a promotion there, then guess what, you sell that house, you have some equity, then you go and you get a little step up, right? Now you move into another neighborhood, right? And then you live in that house a little bit, same story. And, and when you first move into those houses, you're like, this is the best thing ever. But then give it a while, and you're like, oh, man, this just ain't doing it anymore. Like, we, like, like you lose the fulfillment of it. And so it's, you always got to have more. It's like you get a promotion at work, you get a little raise, it's like all good until you find ways to spend that raise, and then you're like, it's not enough, i got to have more. It's the way that we live in society today. We always want more, we want to make more, but it just never seems to give us that total fulfilling feeling, right? 
So what does it mean to be fulfilled? I mean, if we're going to talk about fulfilled and being fulfilled, what does that mean? Well, here's the definition. Now, there's more than these two definitions, but these are the two that I'm going to point out to you. The first one is to carry out or bring to realization as a prophecy or promise. Now, that is not a Christian dictionary. That is like a dictionary.com definition, but I love it. Fulfillment, to carry out, bring to realization as a prophecy or promise. Now, here's the one that I want us to hang on for today, to develop the full potential of. To be fulfilled means that you have reached your potential, that the potential that God has placed inside of you has now developed into its fullness. That's what it means to be fulfilled. Can I tell you that God creates each and every one of us with potential? You cannot tell me today that you were not created with potential. Every single person that has breath in their lungs has potential. Some have potential to be great athletes. Some have potential to be great minds. Some have potential to be great uh, workers in, in certain fields, whether it's building something, painting something, whether it's uh, cars, whether it's what, whatever it is. We all have potential at something. You were created with potential. Because you see, when God creates, He sees possibility. He sees potential. Here's a thought that might blow your mind, but do you realize that like millions of years ago, God thought about you? Do you realize that? And when he thought about you, and he looked at you, he said, man, there's so much possibility here. Man, I can't wait until they're born. I can't wait until it's their time, because man, they got so much potential. And I put it right there inside of them. And can I tell you that today you might sit there and you might say, well, man, I've really messed that up. I haven't made the best decisions in my life. I haven't done the greatest at life thus far. Guess what? That potential is still there. There's nothing in this world outside of death that can rob you of your potential while you're on this earth. Do you realize that? We all have potential. God sees, when he sees you, he doesn't see a mess up. He doesn't see a mistake. He doesn't see somebody that has crushed their dreams, ruined their goals. He sees possibility. I feel like someone needs to be encouraged today. That when he sees you, he sees potential. When he sees you, he sees possibility. Look at this scripture in Jeremiah 29. I mean, it's a famous scripture, but a lot of times we only quote verse 11. But let's, let's quote it in its context, verses 10 through 14. It says, this is what the Lord says. You'll be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. What's Babylon? Babylon is captivity. Babylon means that, guess what? They are in a place where they cannot reach their potential. But God says, I see you, you're in your Babylon, you're not going to be there forever, you still have potential. And everything that I have promised you will come to pass. And that's what he's saying about you. 
You see, Babylon for you is your time period on this earth where you don't believe in him, where you don't have a relationship with him. You're in captivity to yourself. You're in captivity to your sin. You're in captivity to this world. But as soon as you say yes to him, he's saying, guess what? You were in Babylon for those years, but I still have a plan. I still have a purpose. There's still potential. There's still possibility. And I'm ready to see it come to pass. And then that's when he goes into verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. There are plans for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And he's talking to the people of Israel, and he's saying, you're going to be in Babylon for 70 years because you're going to screw things up. You're going to mess things up. But guess what? No matter how bad you've messed it up, does not take the plan, the potential, the purpose off of your life. Then he goes into verse 12. He says, in those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity, restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. All God's looking from you is just a cry. That's all he wants. That's all he's looking for. He's not looking for you to get your life in order before he starts moving in it. He's not looking for you to build a certain type of resume before he starts moving in it. He's just looking for a cry. He says, when you pray, I'll listen. When you cry, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you'll find me. I'm there. I've never moved. Guess who moved? You moved. I'm here to speak to someone's potential today. And I believe that God is going to start awakening some potential in this room today. The days of you making excuses, the, day, uh, the days of, 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 of those that are trying to rob you of your potential, it's over. It's over. In fact, I, 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 I'm saying that prophetically as a declaration over you today, that your potential will be awakened in this moment right here, right now, because it has been too long, lying dormant, not achieving anything, because you're allowing world, the world, your life, circumstances to rob you of it, and it's stopping today. Your potential will be awakened today. Because God sees possibility. God sees potential. And God desires for you to live a life fulfilled. Scripture is littered with different verses that speak to this. You look at Ephesians 3.20. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Man, that's, that's, that's some serious potential right there. There's so much potential that's inside of you that you, you, you can't, the, 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 the furthest that you can get your mind to see your potential is just where it begins when God sees it. Do, do you see what I'm saying? Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? That the best life you, you think you can live, just think about it, the best most fulfilling life that you could think for yourself is just the beginning of what God sees. 
Because what he sees is infinitely more than we might ask or think. Listen to David as he cried out in Psalms 103, verses 1 through 5. He says, praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord my soul and forget not all of his benefits. Verse 3, who forgives all of our sins and heals all of our diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I don't know about you, but that pretty much is a clear definition of what a fulfilled life looks like, sounds like, is. And then John 10.10, which is going to be our main verse through the series. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Somebody say full. I like what the amplified version adds to it. Just listen, it won't be on the screen, but it'll say, it says this. The thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. I'm not talking just getting to the brim of your cup. I'm talking about running over, overflowing. That is the kind of life that Jesus came to give you and I. It's not just life to have life, but it's life abundant. It's life fulfilled. It's life seeing that potential come to life and actually be activated. It's one of seeing your life be what God called it to be, saw it to be, millions of years ago. Now, you know, as I was reading this verse and studying for this message, as many times as I've heard this particular verse, I mean, we've all heard this verse before, I'm pretty sure, right? I mean, the thief comes to Still kill and destroy, but I have come to give life and life abundantly. I've heard messages after message about this verse. And every time, this is what we say, the thief is Satan. Would you agree with me? Like, the thief is Satan. Satan, he's come to kill, steal, and destroy. It's Satan, 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 Satan. But you know what? As I started looking at the context of this verse... I realized that the thief is multiple things. Now, maybe this is my own aha moment, and y'all are all looking at me like, I knew this before. But for years, I've only understood the thief as being Satan. But then I started reading. And if you go to verse 1 of chapter 10, look at what he says. He says, very, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone. Now, if he's only talking about one person, he's not going to say the word anyone, is he? But he says, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. So when he says thief in verse 1 and thief in verse 10, guess what? He's talking about the same thing. It says anyone. Whoa, wait a minute. What are we talking about here? I 
I think it could say anyone or anything. You see, the thief in this passage represents anything or anyone that would take the focus off the shepherd long enough to steal from you, to kill you, and ultimately destroy you. So you know what the thief could be? The thief could be a bad relationship that you don't have any, 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 you shouldn't be in it, but you're in it. And that bad relationship, all it's doing is stealing from you, it's killing you, and it's out to destroy you. You know, it can be an addiction. And I'm not just talking about drugs and alcohol, but you can be addicted to a lot more things than those two things. You can be addicted to pornography. You can be addicted to food. You can be addicted to a lot of things. But guess what? Those things, guess what it can do? It can climb in some other way outside of where it's supposed to come into or where things are supposed to come into. And the reason that it's got to go in that way is because it was never meant to be in there in the first place. And it's coming to kill you. It's coming to steal from you. And it's coming to destroy you. We got way too many people. And I'm talking to believers right now. We got way too many believers that got too many thieves and robbers inside of their sheep pen right now. Because you're allowing bad relationships in. You're allowing addiction in. Here's another one is an idol. You've allowed an idol in. You know what an idol is? It's anything that you're more passionate about than Jesus. That's the easiest definition that I can give you. It's not some little wooden creature that you've carved out of your tree out of the backyard and set it up on your, uh, what is that thing in your bedroom? A dresser. And that you put candles around him. You know, the thing about an idol is, is that most of the time we're the ones that put the idol in the place that it is. But yet we want to blame the idol. Well, guess what? Sometimes the idol's not even a bad thing. The idol's not even the bad thing. Can, 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 can I go somewhere? Let me tell you. Your kids can become an idol. Doesn't mean they're bad. Doesn't mean they're evil. And the idol... The, the idol itself is not the thief. It's the position that you gave it that's the thief. You know, like, I'm coaching baseball this year for my eight-year-old. Coaching seven and eights. Got a couple six-year-olds in there testing my patience. <laughs> Just saying. It's like herding cats out there. Now, yesterday I go to a uh, I go to a baseball clinic. They sent me to a clinic, which was great, by the way. I, I I was like, that's the best two and a half hours that I have spent at Cook Hill. Like I'm just telling you, it was awesome. The things I learned there, awesome. 
But somebody had to open up the can of worms and ask about this thing called travel ball. Okay? Now, being in the sports arena with kids, I, I, you, you hear about it all the time. They got travel ball this, travel ball that. They got some seven and eight-year-olds playing 90 to 100 games a year. It's ridiculous. But you know what? I was at a, I was at a birthday party, and I got into the same conversation with a parent. I'm not against travel ball, and this message isn't about travel ball. I'm using it as an example, okay? So just before I get evil eyes about travel ball, just slow your roll, okay? Like, but, but the, there, there are times where I see seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds that are going to a, a hitting coach and a pitching coach and this coach and that coach and travel ball and this and that at seven and eight years old. I'm like thinking to myself, my gosh, like this is nuts. And you know, a lot of it is, is it's the parent trying to live a second childhood through their child. I mean, let's just call it what it is. And so like, it's all about the kid. It's all about the kid. And it's not the kid's fault. It's your fault. But I'm just saying, when we make it all about that, all about that, we live for that, we live for that, and I'm just using it as an example. Anything can be an idol. But when we position things that don't have the right to be in the number one position, because there's only one thing that deserves to be in the number one position, and his name is Jesus. But when we position anything else in that number one position, and it becomes an idol, guess what it begins to do to you? It begins to steal from you. It begins to kill you. It begins to destroy you. I'm glad somebody thinks so. But you know, he says in 1010 that that's what the thief does. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And you have nobody else to blame but yourself for allowing those things in. Because Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, right? We're the sheep, but he says, I am the good shepherd. So when we put him at number one and we keep our focus on him and we keep our, our, our lives directed in his path and, and lending our ear to him as he speaks to us, well, then guess what begins to happen? He begins to fend off the thieves and the robbers because that's what his job is. As long as we keep our focus. Because see, he sees things before you see them. And if we're not in a position to hear his voice, then we think something comes into our lives and we think, oh man, this looks great, doesn't it? Looks awesome. We're just going to go for it, right? We're not even going to talk to him about it. We're just going to go for it because it just looks great. It's all packaged nice, looks nice, feels right. How many times have we said that in our lives? It just feels And then we take the shiny package off and realize that it's a wolf in sheep's clothing. But see, if we have our focus on him and we have our lives dedicated to him and we position to hear him, he will tell us, you don't need any part of that. As good as you think that looks right now, you don't need any part of that. Leave it alone. 
And see, Jesus says in verse 10, if we can go back to that verse, he says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You see, Jesus does not come to take from you, but to give to you. Can I say that one more time? Jesus does not come to take from you, but to give to you. Have you ever heard of the phrase, life is all about give and take? Anybody? Am I still speaking to some? Yes. Give and take. Life is all about some give and take. Here's the thing. I feel like in this world, would you agree with this statement? In our world today, in our society today, we have more givers than takers. Now, some of y'all just went home and said, yeah, okay, yeah. But listen to what I just said. Do you feel like the majority of the people in this world today are givers instead of takers? No, absolutely not. We have more takers than we do have givers. I was listening to a message, and he was talking about the same thing. And he said he read this book where the guy said there's actually three types of people. You have givers, takers, and matchers. Matchers. That's the person that, like, you go to dinner with them, and they're like, let's, like, like you shared something, okay? And they're like, uh, can, can we get this bill split? And, and just make sure that it's actually even, right? We're going to match, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? But today, I, I, I really want to focus on givers and takers because I believe that we have more takers in this world than we do have givers. I mean, it's how we grow up. I mean, think about your kids, When's the last time your kid woke up and started fixing you breakfast? Exactly. Exactly. You know what the first thing I hear from my son? Hey, can you fix me some breakfast, Dad? I need some breakfast. Breakfast. Can you fix me a waffle? I want a waffle. Ain't just him either. I go pick up Caroline from daycare. I bring her home. She goes, Dad, can I have some cereals? Can I have some cereals? I need some cereals. She adds an S to it, cereals. It's like my kids like, think that I'm the rudest person in the world because every time I hear my name, I'm just like, oh. I mean, do you feel that way? Mommy, mommy, daddy, daddy, mommy, mommy, daddy, daddy, mommy, mommy, mommy. Now, every now and then, they'll throw me a curveball. Like I'll hear, I'll hear Gavin go, Daddy, 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 daddy. And I'm like, what? I just love you, Dad. <laughs> I'm so sorry, son. <laughs> Come here. <laughs> they throw you a curveball. They are smarter than what they realize. You know what I'm saying? They're smarter than for their own good. Master manipulators, starting from the age of six months. It's kids, right? I mean, all they do is take, 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 take. Take, take, take. Think about your job. Oh, now I'm, man, oh, yeah. Some of y'all are in that job where you're like, man, I really loved it. Everybody's got a honeymoon period at a job, right? Where it seems all good. It's like, man, this is the best place I ever worked for in my life. You get six months down the road, and then they're like, take, 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 take. Hey, I'm going to need you to come in on Saturday. 
hey, I'm going to need you to do this. Hey, I'm going to need you to do that. I know this wasn't in your job description, but can you please do this? I mean, come on. Like, I know I'm speaking to some people today. Like, that is what life is all about, right? Take, 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 take. Can I say this statement right here? The more you take, the more you need. The more you take, the more you need. Now, that doesn't seem necessarily right, does it? I mean, when you, first, when you look at it on the surface, you would think as much as I take, I would have all that I need. We can go back to the kid example and debunk that statement. Because as soon as they figure out, like, I'm serious, from the baby stage, as soon as they figure out that you've got food, guess what? They ain't going nowhere else. They're going, mommy, 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 mommy. Take, 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 take. See what I'm saying? And the more that you take, the more that you need. You know what that's called? It's called a poverty mindset. Because you know what takers do? I know taker seems to have like an action step to it. They actually take, but this is what they do. I'm here. Take, 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 take. Now, the only work they might put into that is to actually write like a banner sign and throw it up above their head, and then this is what I'm here for. Take, 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 take. It's a poverty mindset. You know what the writer of Proverbs says in Chapter 24, verses 33 through 34, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. See, takers most times are lazy. I know this is hard, but come on, let's face it. We've been in church and heard enough good feeling messages a time or two, but guess what? Good stuff's coming, all right? Just stick with me. But the more that we take, the more that we need. It's a poverty mindset. Now, here's another statement. The more that you give, the more you will have. Now, this is like where it's going. Right? Because the more that I give, how does that work? The more that I'll have. I mean, it's like the little boy who had a lunch in Scripture. All he had was five loaves and two fish, and they had 15,000 people out there. And he might go, no, 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 it was 5,000. It was 5,000 men. That doesn't account for the wives and children. Listen, they had a ton of people out there. There was no way that this, that this little boy could have thought to himself, yeah, this is going to do, right? And he could have had a poverty mindset and said, you know what, I'm going to take this for myself because this is all I've got, and as long as I have it, I'm good with it. That's not what happened. There was a giving that took place. God took what was given. He broke it, blessed it, gave it out. There was more than enough to eat to where there was 12 basketfuls left over. The more you give, the more you'll have. You see, this is a kingdom mindset. The world wants to instill a poverty mindset The kingdom wants to instill a kingdom mindset. 
know, it's like in our nation today. All they want to tell you is just like, hey, listen, I'm going to be the one that's going to give you free this, free that, free all, free, 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 right? Because they know what they're appealing to. Because we're a world full of takers. That's why they love to get up there and do what they, but they know, they, they know there ain't no sense in saying something's free. But yet they say it anyway because we got a lot of takers. Oh, yeah, take, 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 take free education, I'll take that. Free food, I'll take that. Free this, I'll take that. Free, 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 free. But kingdom mindset says the more that you give, the more that you'll have. Why is that? Because we were created to be givers. We were created in God's image. And guess what? God is a giver at nature. It's who he is. And if he created us in his image, he created you to be a giver. John 3.16, God so loved the world, what? He gave. He didn't take anything. He gave everything. Do you know what happened in the garden? Is that sin entered and pride moved in. You know what pride is? Pride is a taker. Pride takes things. Take, 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 take. That's not what we were created to be. We were created to be givers, but pride says, no, 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 no. You know what? We're going we're gonna to just boot the giving nature out of you, and pride is going to set stakes inside of you, and that's who you're going to be. Now, that was totally mankind's decision to allow sin in. God didn't allow it to happen. God didn't make it happen. Man made it happen. Man allowed it to happen. And you know what God could have done? He could have sat there and said, you know what? Tough luck. We're just going to annihilate everything. Nice try. That's not what he did. Instead, he set in motion Operation Freedom, a.k.a. Jesus. Now let's go back to the verse that we began with as I close. In Joshua chapter 21, verses 43 through 45, listen to this. This is Joshua. He gets to the end here. This is the end of possessing the promise. Okay? Let's think about this from the beginning, right? Let's go back to Egypt. You know what Egypt was? Egypt was a land of captivity. Egypt equaled sin because that's what sin does. It, 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 it puts you into captivity. It takes away your freedom. It'll tell you that it'll add to your life, but all it does is take from you. It kills you, steals from you, destroys you. That's what sin does. That's what Egypt was to the Israelites. But then guess what? The exodus happens. You know what the exodus equals? Salvation. Moses comes and he's the deliverer. And he saves the people out of Egypt. God moves in and through him. You know what the promised land is? It's the abundant life. It's the life that Jesus desires to give each and every one of us. Life and life to the full. So let's go back to Joshua 21, 43 through 45. So the Lord gave to Israel 
Because why? He's a giver. He gave to Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors, and they what? Took possession of it and settled there. And I'm going to say something that sounds like I just contradicted my entire message. Y'all ready for this? We have to be takers. But takers from God. Takers from God. Because you see, remember when I said that our lives are full, but our spirits are empty? Here's the reason that they're empty. You will be empty if you don't take what God has given you. Let me say that again. You will be empty if you don't take what God has given you. And you can't give to the world what you don't take from God. Now let me read a parable to you that brings us home. Keys can come on and come back up. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9, Jesus says this. He goes, that same day Jesus went out to the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat. He sat in it, and while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying this. A farmer went out to sow a seed, and he was scattering the seed. And some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seeds fell on good soil, where it produced a crop. A hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Now let's drop down to verse 18, because we're going to let Jesus give his own commentary on what this parable meant. He says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom... And does not understand it. The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, meaning making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. see, you can't give to the world what you don't take from God. You'll remain empty in your spirit if you don't take what God has given to you. You know what God has given to each and every one of us? He's given us His Word. And they're not just words on a page, but it's alive. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword that cuts deep into our innermost thoughts and it exposes us for who we are. But you see, we got some people that when God speaks his word, seeds go forth. 
Like today, seeds have been laid. But what does your heart represent? Does your heart represent the path? The path where, where when you hear the message, but you don't understand it? Because you're just here? Then the evil one comes in and snatches that seed away, and then it doesn't have any ability to root itself. Or, or, or does your heart represent the rocky ground? Where you hear the word, and you receive it with joy. You're like, amen, yes, brother, that's great, that's awesome. You tell me outside, that's the greatest message I've ever heard. Man, that moved me. But it's almost as quick as you getting in your car in the parking lot. And because they have no root, it lasts only a short time. Because when trouble comes, when persecution comes, you get so wrapped up in that that you forget the word that was spoken. Or does your heart represent the, the ground that's got the thorns in it? The weeds in it? It refers to someone who hears the word, but we're so consumed with worry about our lives. About the desire to make more wealth all of this chokes the word out making it unfruitful or does your heart represent the fertile soil that he ends with that it takes root and it grows and listen to this it says yielding a hundred sixty or thirty times what was sown you see because when we receive the word and our hearts are fertile he has the opportunity to turn it into a fulfilled life, which is life and life to the full. And you take that seed in, it grows 160, 30 times, and then you're able to give. You're able to give because you've taken what God has given you. So here's the question that I want to end with today. What kind of ground are you cultivating to take, to receive what God is trying to give you? What kind of ground are you cultivating this morning? Are you just a path? Are you just rocky ground? Are you thorny ground? Or are you fertile soil? Because cultivating a heart that has fertile soil is the beginning to a fulfilled life. Let's all stand today.